Today we're going to be reading from um, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Amen. Thanks, Savannah. All right. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, and traditionally the church on the third, day of, uh, third Sunday of Advent uh, thinks about, talks about, meditates upon this idea of joy. Joy. It's a, it's a pretty common Christmas theme, isn't it? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We, we sang it today. But what about, what's joy, right? What, what is joy? How do we access joy? Biblically speaking, when we hear the word joy, what is the Bible talking about? We're, we're kind of, in our culture, in our day and age, we kind of need a definition of what joy actually is in order to come to an understanding of what the Bible is talking about when it pronounces joy at the coming of Jesus, right? So today I just wanted to basically define for us uh, a little bit what joy is and what joy isn't, and then we can hop into the text. So um, joy in a biblical sense is different than what our culture often talks about in terms of fun or pleasure or even happiness. So uh, in our modern kind of American uh, vernacular, Christmas is a time of joy, right? It brings us joy. But very often what we're doing during the season of Christmas is pursuing um, fun, is pursuing pleasures, right, that, are, that come and go, are kind of fleeting. So we go from one office party to the next office party hoping that, that uh, the fun, the experience of fun that we have in, in that place or at that time will bring us joy. But what often happens, you get done with that party or you get done with that um, cookie bake-off or whatever it is that you, we do during the holidays, and we walk away from that and we just need another hit, right? We need another experience of joy or fun or what we think is joy or what tends to be just fun or pleasure in order to kind of buoy us or carry us through the season. And this is why after this month of people attempting to make themselves happy by having office parties or I don't know, eating turkey? What makes you happy? Whatever makes you happy, giving gifts, receiving gifts, that we have such this precipitous amount of people that say that they are suffering from depression after the holidays, right? Because they experience the holidays as just a series of fun activities, putting too much hope in that series of fun activities that it will bring them true and lasting joy, right? 
This is something that we struggle with, both in our culture and just as human beings. We struggle with the idea of joy and what it can actually bring us. We believe that maybe the next girlfriend or the next boyfriend, the next husband or the next wife even, will bring us happiness. And so we're on this endless search for happiness. We're on this endless search for fun and pleasure. But none of that creates in us true, real, and lasting joy. This is how the German theologian Jürgen Moltmann, okay, he's a very important guy, so you can remember his name, Uh, Jürgen Moltmann uh, talks about this idea of joy. He says, the distance between joy and this kind of fun is as wide as the gap between experienced happiness and a game of chance, or between a successful life and a lottery win. Real joy is a feeling about life, but fun is a superficial experience. Joy is lasting and enduring and puts its stamp on one's whole attitude to life. Joy is fulfilled time. Fun is short-lived and serves to pass the time, as they say. The feeling about life behind the party-making fun society is probably boredom and a certain uh, contempt for life. Anybody who's been to a lot of parties knows this, right? Real joy stimulates the soul, makes relationships flourish, flourish, makes the heart light and limbs nimble, mobilizes mobilizes undreamed of powers, and increases confidence. Genuine happiness lays hold of the person's whole being. Enjoy the ecstatic nature of human existence finds its true expression. We are made for joy. We are born for joy. So that, that'll do, right? <laughs> we'll just be done now. But that is the type of joy that the Bible is talking about when it talks about the joy that accompanies the coming of Jesus at Christmas. That is the type of joy that we're talking about. So for today, I thought it would be helpful for us just to have a working definition of joy that, that we come off of. And it's on the screen and in your notes. But just a working definition Joy is a deep and lasting sense of fulfillment and happiness that encompasses our whole being, regardless, this is important, regardless of momentary circumstances. If our joy is just something that comes and goes, right, if it's something that is based on momentary circumstances, then it happens to not be joy at all, right? But joy, in a biblical sense, is this deep and lasting reality that that captures our, the, the totality of our being, really. And as we look today at the, really at the song of Mary, Mary's song, what's often called the Mag- Magnificant, um, I want to look at this story through this prism of joy, through this idea of what this passage today can teach us about how we experience joy and how Mary experienced the coming of Jesus as joy on that first Christmas. You with me? Great. So, uh, in order to really understand this passage well, we kind of need to take a step back into the kind of the context of this story. So, Mary has just, before the passage that was read, so expertly read by Savannah, before that passage, right before then, Mary has just received news from the angel Gabriel that even though she is a virgin, she's going to give birth to a baby. This is a shocking bit of news. Can you imagine? So scholars tell us that Mary was probably between 13 and 15 years old, not a very old girl. I've I've, I've read things that say she might have been as young as 12, which was not uncommon in that day. 
And her whole life, because she's been betrothed to a man, is laid out before her. So when you uh, were a young, she was a young woman, she was going to marry a carpenter, and she was going to live the life of a normal Hebrew woman. She was going to have children, and she was going to keep the house. She was going to uh, be responsible for certain uh, religious, some of the religious observance that went on within the home. And as, uh, and as the woman of the home, she was, she was responsible for this. This is what she was going to do. And she knew that because her life was laid out for her. But as the story of uh, Christmas tells us, she gets an interesting bit of news. You see, women in this time, in this culture, weren't uh, allowed to divorce their husbands, but if their husband wanted to divorce them for any reason, even the reason of burning the lamb at dinner, he could do that. He could put a, he could put a woman out on the street. And if for any reason you were a woman and your husband died, well, you better have a brother or a father to take care of you, or else, once again, you would probably die. And pertinent to our story today, if you were found to have be pregnant outside of marriage, um, it was very possible for you to be killed by your community, for them to take your life. Or in the best case scenario, and this is what uh, this is what Joseph was essentially going to do when it says he was going to put her away. He was going to simply not marry her and send her back to her family, where she would live for the rest of her life, um, essentially as a marked woman, never have a family, never have a life of any sort, never really have true uh, safety and security, because if at any point her, whether it was her father or her brother, decided that they didn't want her in the home anymore. They could simply put her out and she would die, right? You would, she would never have a life in any substantial way. She would be branded as an unclean woman for the rest of her life, never to have a family, never to do what women were supposed to do in that time. In this world, this is the context within which Mary is told that she will have a son, even though she's not married, technically, and that she's a virgin. And so the pronouncement of the angel Gabriel should have been to Mary, should have caused great fear in Mary, right? But that didn't really happen. It produced amazement, and as we see in our teaching text for today, it manifested in this kind of explosive joy. So when the angel comes to Mary, his first words, what are they? They're hark, they're rejoice, is what he says to her. Every, and everyone who comes in contact with Mary in this passage, whether it be uh, the unborn John the Baptist in his mother's womb or his mother Elizabeth, everyone who comes into contact with Mary, given the situation that uh, Mary is in, what happens? They explode with a type of joy. What is going on that would cause this type of rapturous joy to be flowing out of everyone who comes into contact with Mary and flows out of Mary herself in the Magnificat. What exactly is happening? When Elizabeth sees her in verse 42 of our passage today, it says this, in a loud voice she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Can you imagine, walk, if you're a woman in this room, walking into your cousin's house and she sees that you're pregnant and she screams at you, in a really loud voice, essentially the first thing he does, you're the most blessed woman and you carry the most blessed child. And you're going, I, thanks, That's, I appreciate that. 
joy is, this, is the predominant response of everyone who comes into contact with Mary and her unborn child in this passage. And it is, again, strange because it should not have produced that response in any of them, right? This is the exact opposite response that should have been produced in these people. Why did this, pregn- why did this pregnancy, which under normal circumstances should have been the cause of great distress and worry, actually produce the opposite response? The angel Gabriel has announced to Mary that she is carrying the Messiah. That the baby that she is carrying should be called Emmanuel, which is the name, which means God is with us. Gabriel says to her, rejoice, the Lord is with you. God acts graciously by sending his son to the world in this passage, and people respond with joy and with praise. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. This is joy on the level that has been unthinkable for God's people. So it's the announcement of the coming of Jesus that brings her such joy and causes her to explode into song in the Magnificat. Uh, So for you music-loving people, this um, is proof that musicals are real, that when occasionally you can just break out into song. I've never done that. Have I ever broken out? I sing a lot. It's usually about nachos, but uh, (laughs) I've got a nacho, you've got a, sorry. (laughs) We won't even go there. If you want, if I'm thinking about writing a Broadway musical about nachos. It's going to be really popular. Uh, (laughs) But this is proof, right? That at least least under the onus of the Holy Spirit, you can just break out into song. It works. Uh, So uh, given this passage, given this, uh, this exclamatory kind of praise that Mary gives in her song, um, I really want to look at taking out of it really kind of two ideas, and, that's, and these two ideas are, are what we'll focus on for the, for the remainder of our time. Um, this first thing that I want to look at, this first point I want to draw out of her passage, and it, it's really a prerequisite for joy, right? Because her, her song, Mary's song, is, is for us a kind of instructive uh, song, an instructive psalm about what joy looks like and how it functions. Does this make sense? So uh, my first point is uh, Mary's song shows us that joy, true joy, is not available to the proud. Joy is not available to the proud. Verses uh, 51 and 52. So what will hinder you, this is the question, right? What will hinder you from true and lasting joy? What hinders us from experiencing true and lasting joy? We turn away from joy when we fail to acknowledge that we are, in fact, in need of something. Because the prerequisite for joy is humility in this passage. Notice what she says um, in verse 47. She says, My soul rejoices, for he has looked on the lowliness of of his servant. Mary takes this position of being lowly, of being low. She sees herself as being uh, not particularly important, even though God chose her to carry Jesus, to carry the Messiah. 
she still sees herself as somewhat lowly. And it, and it makes sense, right? It makes sense that our pride gets in the way of us uh, receiving the gift of God, right? If, I, if everything that uh, I've got in my life, I've earned, and I see myself as, uh, as important, and I lack humility, I see everything in my life as being generated from me and me alone, it's obvious that if the, if the primary gift to the entirety of the world was free and was not earned and was all grace, that my humility would in some real and, and profound sense get in the way of me, uh, my pride, would in some real and profound way getting the, get in the way of me experiencing that grace, right? The coming of Jesus has to be accepted with humility, because that's the only way we can access the joy that comes along with it. You see, Jesus comes along to, and basically makes this pronouncement. Gabriel makes this pronouncement to Mary, but Mary, but Jesus is the one making it to us, right? That his love and his grace and his goodness are free to us, and that we can't do anything to earn it, and that we must accept it with humility, Humility is this prerequisite for experiencing joy. Have you ever met anybody who was particularly unjoyful? Oftentimes they work really hard, right? They think that everything that they have is dependent upon their own uh, will, energy, or grit, right? And so they, they have this negative view of everyone who's around them probably because they just assume that um, everybody isn't working as hard as they are or isn't doing what they're supposed to do, right? These type of people aren't very joyful, right? But people who see their very lives, their very existence as a gift from God are able to live in these incredibly joyful and, and, uh, and happy ways, really. Mary shows us in this story uh, that true happiness, what the Bible calls joy, calls joy is a... Is about the, is a byproduct of the humble acceptance of the gift of God in Jesus. Jesus comes to each of us. Jesus comes to each of us, and he longs to show us uh, what, what he has for us. He longs to give us his love. He longs to give us his acceptance, right? He longs to show us that God loves and accepts us. And if, and if we're proud, if we're too proud, we can't bring ourselves to accept that gift because we believe in some sense, pride in some sense is the belief that I don't need anything, that I'm okay on my own. And the story of Christmas is the story of the, of the fact that the world is not okay, that it is in need of a Savior. It is in need of Emmanuel, God with us, to come and sort the whole thing out. And in the same sense, you and I are in need of sorting out our hearts are misshapen and deformed. Our minds don't think the way they should. And we are in need of God's grace and love to straighten us out. And if we're too prideful to see that, then we're unable to accept the goodness and the grace of God. So that's point one. And this leads right into point two. Mary's song shows us that joy is experiencing the true and perfect love of God as a gift. God's love and grace is a gift to us, and it will only be as near or as present to us 
as we allow it to be. There's this thought in, that we often think, all humans do, that God is really far off and that I need to kind of ascend the ladder of spirituality to get to him. This is called Gnosticism. It's been around for a really long time. And so what I need to do in order to get to God is I need to say my prayers and I need to uh, read my Bible and I need to make sure I'm not sinning. As, as I do those things, I get to be closer to God, right? That I kind of earn my way to God. This is not the story of Christmas. This is not the story of the gospel in any way, shape, or form. The story of the gospel is about simply receiving the goodness and grace of God. Who does, who, what, who does the pronouncement of Jesus' coming first come to? It doesn't become to those in, in power, right? It doesn't, become, it doesn't come to the religious leaders. It doesn't come to the chief priest of the synagogue in Jerusalem. It comes to a poor girl who's 13. It comes to um, some magi who aren't even Jewish. It comes to the poorest of the poor, which were shepherds out in the field watching their flock by night. It comes to all these people for whom the, la- the climbing the ladder of spiritual success was simply not an option. Uh, shepherds could not go to the temple and offer sacrifice in the same way. They couldn't actually participate in the regular um, religious rituals of the day because they were so unclean all the time because they were always touching dead things and they were always doing all kinds of things that made them unclean. So they were almost never able to go to Jerusalem to the temple to actually carry out the religious functions that would then make them clean or make them good or earn God's favor. And yet the pronouncement of the coming of Jesus comes to what? Who? These outcasts. And you see it in Mary's song. She, she goes through, a, she says a series of reversals. The proud will be laid low. The rich will be, uh, the rich won't see this, right? And so the poor will see it. She says the, the powerful, the political elite won't see this and it will come to those who don't have power. Notice what she's saying there. She's saying that in some sense, our pride, our affluence, our uh, station gets in the way of our reception of the grace and goodness of God. It is no surprise that people who know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are, in fact, not good, have the easiest time receiving the gift of God's grace. It, it, it's not surprising that the poor and the powerless are those who can come to Jesus and accept his goodness and his grace first and most easily because they know, in fact, that they are in need of something that they do not have. It's those in the story who are powerful who don't see what they need. And in the same way, those of us in this place who are, uh, in some sense, burdened with our own pride or our own affluence or our own station in life, we occasionally have trouble seeing the grace of God for what it is because we're too busy looking at what we need to do to accomplish X, right? Whatever X is, whatever, whatever it is we think we need to accomplish, we're too busy. And in the religious world, in our, in our own kind of church and religious structure, the thing that happens so often is that we, be, we then believe that we need to be good enough in order for God to do the things we want him to do, that we, that we need to earn this thing. And the story of Christmas and the, the reality of this idea of joy is that true joy comes about when we come to this conclusion that you and I can't earn in any way, shape, or form the free gift of God's grace. We simply cannot earn it. 
And this creates such um, bubbling and ever-present joy in us because we don't need to strive anymore. We simply need to, we simply need to accept the goodness and the grace of God that longs to come near to us, that longs to be close to us. And by virtue of accepting that reality, right, there's not, there is change involved in the process, but it's as we first accept that reality that we're then shown the way, right? Jesus is the light of the world. It's this common theme that always runs through the, the Christmas stories. And that's because as we allow the goodness and the grace and the love of Jesus to come to us, we're then given light to see the way of his kingdom, right? That we're, that we're then able to walk in these paths of righteousness. But until we come to the place where we're humble enough, we're contrite is a good biblical word, enough to accept this reality, then we'll never actually step in to the type of joy that's available to us. The joy of Christmas, the joy of uh, salvation, the joy of the coming of Jesus is a joy that springs from the fact that I can't do it on my own and that God has and will do everything for me. That's what the joy of the Lord is all about. And this is why Mary, in her circumstance, being in this place of really not knowing where her life is going to take her, is able to experience this pronouncement of the coming of Jesus into the world as pure and unadulterated joy. Because she knows that it isn't necessarily about her. She knows that this, this coming of this Lord and Savior, this uh, Messiah who is to come, will be one who will usher in the rule and reign of God, who will do all the things that she sings about in her song, and will set the world right. And regardless of her current circumstances, regardless of what she's experiencing in her life, whatever it was, she knew that God was with her and that he would continue to be with her forever and ever and ever. And for us, in the same place, joy is knowing that we are loved and accepted by God and that no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what's taken from us, no matter how ill we fall, no matter how close to death we might be, no matter how bad our finances are, or how wrecked our relationships are, or how, um, how untidy our living room is. That gets me sometimes. Joy is the knowledge that God is about the business of working everything out, and that he has come in the person of Jesus, and he will continue to sustain us and love us through the process of life, and one day, there's coming a day when everything will be put right. That's joy. That's joy unspeakable. It's joy that can't be stolen from you in any way, shape, or form. It's joy that when you, uh, when you lose sight of it, right, all you have to do to regain that joy is to look at the reality of our world right? We can occasionally lose joy when we look at the reality of suffering in our world. We look back to the person of Jesus and know that he is going to sort it all out. He's going to deal finally with it, and that we as individuals right now where you sit are unimaginably loved 
by the creator of the universe. That is joy that no one can steal from you. That's joy that no one can take from you. And what does incredible things to us, right? It stops us from striving. It stops us from having to see ourselves as important in order to achieve or in order to make God like us. It stops us from having to run from party to party to party to just kind of escape the present darkness that's just kind of lurking in the back of our brains. It fills us with this uh, unimaginable joy that helps us to rest calmly and quietly in the knowledge of who God is and what he has done and what he will do for us and for the entirety of the world. This is joy. This is what joy is, and this is why, it, uh, why we're called as Christians to live in joy, and why Christmas is the pronouncement of joy. It's because this was the advent, the coming, the presence of joy into the world. Jesus' coming was the, uh, was the stake in the ground that joy was the predominant uh, emotion of the people of God. The joy was, the, was one of the things that would define us as a people. The band would come up. Uh, whenever, uh, whenever we talk about the idea of joy and what it is called to accomplish in us, um, I often think that um, that it and it, joy is an emotion. But I often think about um, the people I've seen in uh, on things like times I go overseas and I spend time with other other Christians who are in far different circumstances than I'm in, right? We are all cognizant of the fact that we live in America, and this is a very, on a global standard, a very easy place to live, right? In terms of the way the vast majority of the rest of uh, the human population live. And when I go to these places and I see people who don't live like Americans, they don't, they didn't, they don't have as efficient plows as we have, right? Um, what I'm reminded of always when I talk to these people is this kind of uh, unassuageable joy, this joy that just cannot be stopped in them, right? And they carry it with them everywhere they go because, uh, because they know this reality that regardless of circumstance, regardless of comparing, um, regardless of comparison, the joy of God is this ever-present reality. Regardless of where you live, regardless of what you have, regardless of who you are, God loves us. God loves us, and he's got our future in his hands. And as we process through life, joy is the byproduct. Joy is the byproduct of this knowledge. And so when we fall short of it, and I, and I fall short of it, and we all do, when we fall short of this joy, the type of joy that Mary exemplifies in her song that we read here today, it's always good to remember who it is that actually runs the world, <laughs> who it is that is actually uh, moving this train down the tracks. And that as we remind ourselves of that reality, we're able to, uh, we're able to tap in again to that biblical joy. And so Christmas is a time of year where we take a little bit of time and we remember, right? We remember, we remind ourselves that in fact, uh, we are to be joyful because joy to the world, the Lord has come. That's what Christmas is. At its best, that's what it is for us as followers of Jesus. And so today we just wanted to sing that song real, real fast. Uh, we'll sing it a couple more times. We'll sing it on Christmas Eve too. Um, 
but as a means of reminding ourselves again uh, that the joy to the world, the Lord has come and earth has received her king and that we are people of joy. All right, will you stand with us as we just sing this?